Section 3 of Concerning Christian Liberty by Martin Luther Translated by R. S. Grignon This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. And now let us turn to the other part, to the outward man. Here we shall give an answer to all those who, taking offense at the word of faith, and at what I have asserted, say, If faith does everything, and by itself suffices for justification, why then are good works commanded? Are we then to take our ease and do no works content with faith? Not so, impious men, I reply, not so. That would indeed really be the case if we were thoroughly and completely inner and spiritual persons. But that will not happen until the last day, when the dead shall be raised. As long as we live in the flesh, we are but beginning and making advances in that which shall be completed in the future life. On this account the Apostle calls that which we have in this life the first fruits of the Spirit. Romans 8.23 In future we shall have the tenths and the fullness of the Spirit. To this part belongs the fact I have stated before, that the Christian is the servant of all and subject to all. For in that part in which he is free, he does no works. But in that which he is a servant, he does all works. Let us see on what principle this is so. Although, as I have said, inwardly, and according to the Spirit, a man is amply enough justified by faith, having all that he requires to have, except that this very faith and abundance ought to increase from day to day, even till the future life, still he remains in this mortal life upon earth, in which it is necessary that he should rule his own body, and have intercourse with men. Here, then, works begin. Here he must not take his ease. Here he must give heed to exercise his body by fastings, watchings, labor, and other regular discipline, so that it may be subdued to the spirit, and obey and conform itself to the inner man and faith, and not rebel against them, nor hinder them, as is its nature to do, if it is not kept under. For the inner man, being conformed to God and created after the image of God through faith, rejoices and delights itself in Christ, in whom such blessings have been conferred on it, and hence has only this task before it, to serve God with joy and for naught, in free love. But in doing this, he comes into collision with that contrary will in his own flesh, which is striving to serve the world and to seek its own gratification. This the spirit of faith cannot and will not bear, but applies itself with cheerfulness and zeal to keep it down and restrain it. As Paul says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Romans 7, 22 and 23. And again, I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. 1 Corinthians 9.27 And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Galatians 5.24 These works, however, must not be done with any notion that by them a man can be justified before God. For faith, which alone is righteousness before God, will not bear with this false notion but solely with this purpose, that the body may be brought into subjection, and be purified from its evil lusts, so that our eyes may be turned only to purging away those lusts. 
For when the soul has been cleansed by faith and made to love God, it would have all things to be cleansed in like manner, and especially its own body, so that all things might unite with it in the love and praise of God. Thus it comes, that from the requirements of his own body a man cannot take his ease, but is compelled on its account to do many good works, that he may bring it into subjection. Yet these works are not the means of his justification before God. He does them out of disinterested love to the service of God, looking to no other end than to do what is well-pleasing to him whom he desires to obey most dutifully in all things. On this principle, every man may easily instruct himself in what measure and with what distinctions he ought to chasten his own body. He will fast, watch, and labor just as much as he sees to suffice for keeping down the wantonness and concupiscence of the body. But those who pretend to be justified by works are looking not to the mortification of their lusts, but only to the works themselves, thinking that if they can accomplish as many works and as great ones as possible, all is well with them, and they are justified. Sometimes they even injure their brain and extinguish nature, or at least make it useless. This is enormous folly and ignorance of Christian life and faith, when a man seeks without faith to be justified and saved by works. To make what we have said more easily understood, let us set it forth under a figure. The works of a Christian man who is justified and saved by his faith out of the pure and unbought mercy of God ought to be regarded in the same light as would have been those of Adam and Eve in paradise, and of all their posterity if they had not sinned. Of them it is said, The Lord God took the man, and put him into the garden of Eden, to dress it, and to keep it. Genesis 2.15 Now Adam had been created by God just and righteous, so that he could not have needed to be justified and made righteous by keeping the garden and working in it. But that he might not be unemployed, God gave him the business of keeping and cultivating paradise. These would have indeed been works of perfect freedom, being done for no object than that of pleasing God, and not in order to obtain justification, which he already had to the full, and which would have been innate in us all. So it is with the works of a believer. Being by his faith replaced afresh in paradise and created anew, he does not need works for his justification, but that he may not be idle, but may exercise his own body and preserve it, his works are to be done freely, with a sole object of pleasing God. Only we are not yet fully created anew in perfect faith and love. These require to be increased, not, however, through works, but through themselves. A bishop, when he consecrates a church, confirms children, or performs any other duty of his office, is not consecrated as bishop by these works. Nay, unless he had been previously consecrated as bishop, not one of these works would have any validity. They would be foolish, childish, and ridiculous. Thus a Christian, being consecrated by his faith, does good works. But he is not by these works made a more sacred person, or more a Christian. That is the effect of faith alone. Nay, unless he were previously a believer and a Christian, none of his works would have any value at all they would really be impious and damnable sins. True, then, are these two sayings. Good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. Bad works do not make a bad man, 
but a bad man does bad works. Thus it is always necessary that the substance or person should be good before any good works can be done, and that good works should follow and proceed from a good person. As Christ says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Matthew 7.18 Now it is clear that the fruit does not bear the tree, nor does the tree grow on the fruit, but on the contrary, the trees bear the fruit, and the fruit grows on the trees. As then trees must exist before their fruit, and as the fruit does not make the tree either good or bad, but on the contrary, a tree of either kind produces fruit of the same kind, so must first the person of the man be good or bad, before he can do either a good or a bad work. And his works do not make him bad or good, but he himself makes his works either bad or good. We may see the same thing in all handicrafts. A bad or good house does not make a bad or good builder, but a good or bad builder makes a good or bad house. And in general, no work makes the workman such as it is itself, but the workman makes the work such as he is himself. Such is the case, too, with the works of men. Such as the man himself is, whether in faith or in unbelief, such is his work. Good if it be done in faith, bad if in unbelief. But the converse is not true, that such as the work is, such the man becomes, in faith or in unbelief. For as works do not make a believing man, so neither do they make a justified man. But faith, as it makes a man a believer and justified, so also it makes his works good. Since then works justify no man, but a man must be justified before he can do any good work, it is most evident that it is faith alone which, by the mere mercy of God through Christ, and by means of his word, can worthily and sufficiently justify and save the person, and that a Christian man needs no work, no law for his salvation. For by faith he is free from all law, and in perfect freedom does gratuitously all that he does, seeking nothing, either of profit or of salvation, since by the grace of God he is already saved, and rich in all things through his faith, but solely that which is well-pleasing to God. So, too, no good work can profit an unbeliever to justification and salvation, and, on the other hand, no evil work makes him an evil and condemned person. But that unbelief, which makes the person and the tree bad, makes his works evil and condemned. Wherefore, when any man is made good or bad, this does not arise from his works, but from his faith or unbelief, as the wise man says, The beginning of sin is to fall away from God, that is, not to believe. Paul says, He that cometh to God must believe, Hebrews 11.6. And Christ says the same thing, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. Matthew 12.33. As much as to say, He who wishes to have good fruit will begin with the tree, and plant a good one. Even so, he who wishes to do good works must begin not by working, but by believing, since it is this which makes the person good. For nothing makes the person good but faith, nor bad but unbelief. It is certainly true that in the sight of men a man becomes good or evil by his works. But here becoming means 
that it is thus shown and recognized who is good or evil, as Christ says, By their fruits ye shall know them. Matthew 7.20 But all this stops at appearances and externals, and in this matter very many deceive themselves, when they presume to write and teach that we are to be justified by good works, and meanwhile make no mention even of faith, walking in their own ways, ever deceived and deceiving, going from bad to worse, blind leaders of the blind, wearying themselves with many works, and yet never attaining to true righteousness, of whom Paul says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Second Timothy 3, 5, and 7. He, then, who does not wish to go astray with these blind ones, must look further than to the works of the law, or the doctrine of works, nay, must turn away his sight from works, and look to the person, and to the manner in which it may be justified. Now it is justified and saved, not by works or laws, but by the word of God, that is, by the promise of His grace, so that the glory may be to the divine majesty which has saved us who believe, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, by the word of His grace. From all this it is easy to perceive on what principle good works are to be cast aside or embraced, and by what rule all teachings put forth concerning works are to be understood. For if works are brought forward as grounds of justification, and are done under the false persuasion that we can pretend to be justified by them, they lay on us the yoke of necessity, and extinguish liberty along with faith, and by this very addition to their use they become no longer good, but really worthy of condemnation. For such works are not free, but blaspheme the grace of God, to which alone it belongs to justify and save through faith. Works cannot accomplish this, and yet with impious presumption, through our folly, they take it on themselves to do so, and thus break in with violence upon the office and glory of grace. We do not then reject good works. Nay, we embrace them, and teach them in the highest degree. It is not on their own account that we condemn them, but on account of this impious addition to them, and the perverse notion of seeking justification by them. These things cause them to be only good in outward show, but in reality not good, since by them men are deceived and deceive others, like ravening wolves in sheep's clothing. Now this Leviathan, this perverted notion about works, is invincible when sincere faith is wanting. For those sanctified doers of works cannot but hold it, till faith which destroys it comes and reigns in the heart. Nature cannot expel it by her own power, nay, cannot even see it for what it is, but considers it as a most holy will. And when custom steps in besides, and strengthens this pravity of nature, as has happened by means of impious teachers, then the evil is incurable, and leads astray multitudes to irreparable ruin. Therefore, though it is good to preach and write about penitence, confession, and satisfaction, Yet if we stop there, and do not go on to teach faith, such teaching is without doubt deceitful and devilish. For Christ, speaking by his servant John, not only said, Repent ye, but added, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2. For not one word of God only, but both should be preached, 
new and old things should be brought out of the treasury, as well the voice of the law as the word of grace. The voice of the law should be brought forward, that men may be terrified and brought to a knowledge of their sins, and thence be converted to penitence and to a better manner of life. But we must not stop here. That would be to wound only and not to bind up, to strike and not to heal, to kill and not to make alive, to bring down to hell and not to bring back, to humble and not to exalt. Therefore the word of grace and of the promised remission of sin must also be preached, in order to teach and set up faith, since without that word contrition, penitence, and all other duties are performed and taught in vain. There still remain, it is true, preachers of repentance and grace, but they do not explain the law and the promises of God to such an end and in such a spirit that men may learn whence repentance and grace are to come. For repentance comes from the law of God, but faith or grace from the promises of God. As it is said, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.17 Whence it comes, that a man, when humbled and brought to the knowledge of himself by the threatenings and terrors of the law, is consoled and raised up by faith in the divine promise. Thus, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalm 30, 5. Thus much we say concerning works in general, and also concerning those which the Christian practices with regard to his own body. Lastly, we will speak also of those works which he performs towards his neighbor. For man does not live for himself alone in this mortal body, in order to work on its account, but also for all men on earth. Nay, he lives only for others, and not for himself. For it is to this end that he brings his own body into subjection, that he may be able to serve others more sincerely and more freely. As Paul says, None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Romans 14, 7, and 8. Thus, it is impossible that he should take his ease in this life, and not work for the good of his neighbors, since he must needs speak, act, and converse among men, just as Christ was made in the likeness of men, and found in the fashion as a man, and had his conversation among men. Yet a Christian has need of none of these things for justification and salvation, but in all his works he ought to entertain this view, and look only to this object, that he may serve and be useful to others in all that he does, having nothing before his eyes but the necessities and the advantage of his neighbor. Thus the Apostle commands us to work with our own hands, that we may have to give to those that need. He might have said that we may support ourselves, but he tells us to give to those that need. It is the part of a Christian to take care of his own body for the very purpose that, by its soundness and well-being, he may be enabled to labor and to acquire and preserve property for the aid of those who are in want, that thus the stronger member may serve the weaker member, and we may be children of God, thoughtful and busy one for another, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Here is the truly Christian life. Here is faith really working by love, when a man applies himself with joy and love to the works of that freest servitude in which he serves others voluntarily and for naught, himself abundantly satisfied in the fullness and riches of his own faith. Thus, 
when Paul had taught the Philippians how they had been made rich by that faith in Christ in which they had obtained all things, he teaches them further in these words, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also to the things of others. Philippians 2, 1-4 In this we see clearly that the Apostle lays down this rule for a Christian life, that all our works should be directed to the advantage of others, since every Christian has such abundance through his faith that all his other works and his whole life remain over and above wherewith to serve and benefit his neighbor of spontaneous good will. To this end he brings forward Christ as an example, saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death. Philippians 2, 5-8 through This most wholesome saying of the Apostle has been darkened to us by men who, totally misunderstanding the expressions form of God, form of a servant, fashion, likeness of men, have transferred them to the natures of Godhead and manhood. Paul's meaning is this. Christ, when he was full of the form of God and abounded in all good things, so that he had no need of works or sufferings to be just and saved, for all these things he had from the very beginning, yet was not puffed up with these things, and did not raise himself above us and arrogate to himself power over us, though he might lawfully have done so, but on the contrary, so acted in laboring, working, suffering, and dying, as to be like the rest of men, and no otherwise than a man in fashion and in conduct, as if he were in want of all things, and had nothing of the form of God. And yet all this he did for our sakes, that he might serve us, and that all the works he should do under that form of a servant might become ours. Thus a Christian, like Christ his head, being full and in abundance through his faith, ought to be content with this form of God, obtained by faith, except that, as I have said, he ought to increase this faith till it be perfected. For this faith is his life, justification, and salvation, preserving his person itself, and making it pleasing to God, and bestowing on him all that Christ has, as I have said above. And, as Paul affirms, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20 Though he is thus free from all works, yet he ought to empty himself of this liberty, take on him the form of a servant, be made in the likeness of men, be found in fashion as a man, serve, help, and in every way act towards his neighbor as he sees that God through Christ has acted and is acting towards him. All this he should do freely, and with regard to nothing but the good pleasure of God, and he should reason thus. 
Lo, my God, without merit on my part, of his pure and free mercy, has given to me, an unworthy, condemned, and contemptible creature, all the riches of justification and salvation in Christ, so that I no longer am in want of anything, except of faith to believe that this is so. For such a father, then, who has overwhelmed me with these inestimable riches of his, why should I not freely, cheerfully, and with my whole heart, and from voluntary zeal, do all that I know will be pleasing to him and acceptable in his sight? I will therefore give myself as a sort of Christ to my neighbor, as Christ has given himself to me, and will do nothing in this life except what I see will be needful, advantageous, and wholesome for my neighbor, since by faith I abound in all good things in Christ. Thus, from this faith flow forth love and joy in the Lord, and from love a cheerful, willing, free spirit, disposed to serve our neighbor voluntarily, without taking any account of gratitude or ingratitude, praise or blame, gain or loss. Its object is not to lay men under obligations, nor does it distinguish between friends and enemies, or look to gratitude or ingratitude but most freely and willingly spends itself and its goods, whether it loses them through ingratitude or gains goodwill. For thus did its Father, distributing all things to all men abundantly and freely, making his Son to rise upon the just and the unjust. Thus, too, the child does and endures nothing except from the free joy with which it delights through Christ in God, the giver of such great gifts. You see, then, that if we recognize those great and precious gifts, as Peter says, which have been given to us, love is quickly diffused in our hearts through the Spirit, and by love we are made free, joyful, all-powerful, active workers, victors over all our tribulations, servants to our neighbors, and nevertheless lords of all things. But for those who do not recognize the good things given to them through Christ, Christ has been born in vain. Such persons walk by works, and will never attain the taste and feeling of these great things. Therefore, just as our neighbor is in want and has need of our abundance, so we too in the sight of God were in want and had need of his mercy. And as our Heavenly Father has freely helped us in Christ, so ought we freely to help our neighbor by our body and works. And each should become to the other a sort of Christ, so that we may be mutually Christ's, and that the same Christ may be in all of us, that is, that we may be truly Christians. Who then can comprehend the riches and glory of the Christian life? It can do all things, has all things, and is in want of nothing, is Lord over sin, death, and hell, and at the same time is the obedient and useful servant of all. But alas, it is at this day unknown throughout the world. It is neither preached nor sought after, so that we are quite ignorant about our own name, why we are and are called Christians. We are certainly called so from Christ, who is not absent, but dwells among us, provided, that is, that we believe in him, and are reciprocally and mutually one the Christ of the other, doing to our neighbor as Christ does to us. But now, in the doctrine of men, we are taught only to seek after merits, rewards, and things which are already ours, and we have made of Christ a taskmaster far more severe than Moses. 
The Blessed Virgin, beyond all others, affords us an example of the same faith, in that she was purified according to the law of Moses, and like all other women, though she was bound by no such law, and had no need of purification. Still, she submitted to the law voluntarily, and of free love, making herself like the rest of women, that she might not offend or throw contempt on them. She was not justified by doing this, but, being already justified, she did it freely and gratuitously. Thus ought our works, too, to be done, and not in order to be justified by them, for, being first justified by faith, we ought to do all our works freely and cheerfully for the sake of others. St. Paul circumcised his disciple Timothy, not because he needed circumcision for his justification, but that he might not offend or contemn those Jews weak in the faith, who had not yet been able to comprehend the liberty of faith. On the other hand, when they contemned liberty, and urged that circumcision was necessary for justification, he resisted them, and would not allow Titus to be circumcised. For as he would not offend or contemn any one's weakness in faith, but yielded for the time to their will, so again he would not have the liberty of faith offended, or contemned by hardened self-justifiers, but walked in a middle path, sparing the weak for the time, and always resisting the hardened, that he might convert all to the liberty of faith. On the same principle we ought to act, receiving those that are weak in the faith, but boldly resisting these hardened teachers of works, of whom we shall hereafter speak at more length. Christ also, when his disciples were asked for the tribute money, asked of Peter whether the children of a king were not free from taxes. Peter agreed to this. Yet Jesus commanded him to go to the sea, saying, Lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast the hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them for me and thee. Matthew 17.27 This example is very much to our purpose. For here Christ calls himself and his disciples free men and children of a king, in want of nothing, and yet he voluntarily submits and pays the tax. Just as far, then, as this work was necessary or useful to Christ for justification or salvation, so far do all his other works, or those of his disciples, avail for justification. They are really free and subsequent to justification, and only done to serve others and set them an example. Such are the works which Paul inculcated, that Christians should be subject to principalities and powers, and ready to every good work. Titus 3.1. Not that they may be justified by these things, for they are already justified by faith, but that in liberty of spirit they may thus be the servants of others, and subject to powers, obeying their will out of gratuitous love. Such, too, ought to have been the works of all colleges, monasteries, and priests, every one doing the works of his own profession and state of life, not in order to be justified by them, but in order to bring his own body into subjection, as an example to others, who themselves also need to keep under their bodies, and also in order to accommodate himself to the will of others, out of free love. But we must always guard most carefully against any vain confidence or presumption of being justified, gaining merit, or being saved by these works, 
this being the part of faith alone, as I have so often said. Any man possessing this knowledge may easily keep clear of danger among those innumerable commands and precepts of the Pope, of bishops, of monasteries, of churches, of princes, and of magistrates, which some foolish pastors urge on us as being necessary for justification and salvation, calling them precepts of the church, when they are not so at all. For the Christian freeman will speak thus, I will fast, I will pray, I will do this or that which is commanded me by men, not as having any need of these things for justification or salvation, but that I may thus comply with the will of the Pope, of the bishop, of such a community, of such a magistrate, or of my neighbor, as an example to him. For this cause I will do and suffer all things, just as Christ did and suffered much more for me, though he needed not at all to do so on his own account, and made himself for my sake under the law, when he was not under the law. And although tyrants may do me violence or wrong in requiring obedience to these things, yet it will not hurt me to do them so long as they are not done against God. From all this every man will be able to attain assured judgment and faithful discrimination between all works and laws, and to know who are blind and foolish pastors, and who are true and good ones. For whatsoever work is not directed to the sole end, either of keeping under the body, or of doing service to our neighbor, provided he require nothing contrary to the will of God, is no good or Christian work, Hence I greatly fear that at this day few or no colleges, monasteries, altars, or ecclesiastical functions are Christian ones. And the same may be said of fasts and special prayers to certain saints. I fear that in all these nothing is being sought but what is already ours. While we fancy that by these things our sins are purged away and salvation is attained, and thus utterly do away with Christian liberty. This comes from ignorance of Christian faith and liberty. This ignorance and this crushing of liberty are diligently promoted by the teaching of very many blind pastors who stir up and urge the people to a zeal for these things, praising them and puffing them up with their indulgences, but never teaching faith. Now I would advise you, if you have any wish to pray, to fast, or to make foundations in churches, as they call it, to take care not to do so with the object of gaining any advantage, either temporal or eternal. You will thus wrong your faith, which alone bestows all things on you, and the increase of which, either by working or by suffering, is alone to be cared for. What you give, give freely and without price, that others may prosper and have increase from you and your goodness. Thus you will be a truly good man and a Christian. For what to you are your goods and your works, which are done over and above for the subjection of the body, since you have abundance for yourself through your faith, in which God has given you all things? We give this rule. The good things which we have from God ought to flow from one to another, and become common to all, so that every one of us may, as it were, put on his neighbor, and so behave towards him as if he were himself in his place. They flowed and do flow from Christ to us. He put us on, and acted for us as if he himself were what we are. From us they flow to those who have need of them, so that my faith and righteousness 
ought to be laid down before God as a covering and intercession for the sins of my neighbor, which I am to take on myself, and so labor and endure servitude in them as if they were my own. For thus has Christ done for us. This is true love, and the genuine truth of the Christian life. But only there is it true and genuine, where there is true and genuine faith. Hence the Apostle attributes to charity this quality, that she seeketh not her own. We conclude, therefore, that a Christian man does not live in himself, but in Christ, and in his neighbor, or else is no Christian. In Christ, by faith, in his neighbor, by love. By faith he is carried upwards above himself to God, and by love he sinks back below himself to his neighbor, still always abiding in God and his love, as Christ says, Verily I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. John 1.51 Thus much concerning liberty, which, as you see, is a true and spiritual liberty, making our hearts free from all sins, laws, and commandments, as Paul says, The law is not made for a righteous man. 1 Timothy 1.9 and one which surpasses all other external liberties as far as heaven is above earth. May Christ make us to understand and preserve this liberty. Amen. End of section 3